Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. I think for many of us, the start of our watch journey is quite a lonely one. Through one way or another, you get exposed to watches and, and then the rabbit hole starts and it's one article after another, trying your best to remember like references and also being enamored by the beautiful stories that surround these objects. And whilst that part is incredibly enjoyable, there is a part I found where you want to see more and more watches and also meet people who you can share this journey with. And that's how at least, you know, when I started the watch club, Shanghai Watch Gang, that was, that was how it was. And subsequently, my watch journey completely accelerated, I guess, culminating to where I am today, which is Phillips Watching. Our next guest is someone who is kind of walking the same path, or is he? I'd like to welcome Jonathan Chan to the Horology, who is from the Horology Club in Hong Kong. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's an absolute honor to be here. been listening to your podcast for a while, so... Finally, it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking to you off air, right? Like, I was at a Panerai event that was, like, co-hosted between us and, like, uh, Phillips. And uh, that whole table were listening to the podcast. They, they listened to the podcast, right? And it was, like, it's insane. They were like, oh, we love it. They were like, why did you get rid of Chester? You know? And then I totally <laughs> why did we get why... rid of Chester? <laughs> Obvious reasons. <laughs> Uh, there was one person that said oh i loved it when it was so raw you know he said mm-hmm. what i was like but he said like at the same time i kind of know why you bite him off because he was too inflammatory <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, it was just amazing when um some people okay so one guy uh clement actually he said uh oh i love that part where you had morton on and he was talking about his taxi i was like taxi what yeah. the, 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 the phone the phone losing yeah. his phone and chasing you yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <find> it. <laughs> anyway going off topic um it's coming to the two-year anniversary of the horology club the first thing when i was brainstorming was what's the one piece that you've been able to see through a collector that's come in through the world that's left you speechless hmm that is a very good question hmm to be honest, I, I hate to say this, but I, ha- I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. You know, it's like, yeah, no, no, I don't know. Okay. I just, ha- I just haven't seen anything that's been like absolutely mind blowing. I don't know. I just, I think in the last four years, I spent so much time uh, just meeting collectors and seeing, going to these auctions and looking at all these watches. Um, I just. I'm just kind of numb nowadays. And I'm sure you, you're the same. Like, you know, Daniel, you're working at Phillips and you see watches all day, every day. You meet collectors. Like, at some point, you just become numb. And nothing nothing really catches your eye that much anymore. So, yeah, sorry to uh, sorry to kind of give a lame answer. But, yeah, nothing. Oh, I, I love that answer, by the way. It's so, like, honest because I hate it when people, like, can't admit that they hit these slumps and they kind of just, like oh, great, it's another RM, it's another paddock, whatever. Um, I think it's a fair answer, actually, because I feel it, too, all the time. Like, just nothing, like, makes me go, whoa. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what rules do you have in your watch club? What are the rules? Mm. So it's pretty simple. Just uh, don't don't be a dick. <laughs> um, just 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 show just show respect. I mean, from day one, we always wanted to set out to create a community that was open and inclusive. And what that really meant was that everyone's on different journeys. They've got different tastes. They collect different things. You know, next to you, next to you, you can be talking to a guy who's collecting Casios, and on the other hand, this guy next to you is collecting Befores. It's fine, and uh, it's. It's the number one rule is just just respect, you know, just respect everyone, respect their journey, respect their taste, and always keep an open mind. You never know what you you see at one of these events, at these get-togethers. You never know what what background some guy has, and just keep an open mind. Mm. And you know, while you know, running a club is like there's lots of positives because you meet like watch collectors, you see a lot of watches, and you know, you, you create great relationships with people. What would you say is like the worst thing about running the club? Uh, all the time that goes into it and all the thankless. Uh, it's just everyone's got an opinion, especially the bigger the community gets. Everyone's got an idea of how you should run things, how, you know, where you, where you should hold the event, what venue, what food. Oh, the food isn't good enough. The drinks are not good enough. Oh, it's not secure enough. Yeah, the restaurants are not nice enough. You know, there's always someone chirping in the background. But luckily, the majority do not. The majority are very appreciative. But yeah. Going back to um, your role with like not being a dick. So what happens if someone is? Like, how do you prevent them from coming to the next event? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think we've been generally quite lucky uh, that people do have common sense, but in rare situations where there has been some disagreements, we have privately spoken to members and been like, Hey, you know, there are certain boundaries that we have. And, and most of the time they their understanding of it and it just moves on. But mm-hmm. however, in, in very, very rare cases where it doesn't work out, then unfortunately we, we, we don't never like to do this, but we do remove people from the community or mm-hmm. uh, just being disruptive and dis- disrespectful. Okay. Okay. So when you say like a member, is there like a membership fee? No, the the club is free. Um, all you have to do is just sign up to an event. You can sign up for a webs- uh, website account if you're global or locally, and then just come to an event. Uh, we do charge a ticket price, but that's just for food and drink, for beverages and covering venue costs. But, but that's it. You just come and then... You're a part of the community. It's free. Mm-hmm. How often are these events? Like how, yeah. So, so big events we're doing probably once every two, three months. But in between, we do smaller events. It can range from 10 people to 20, 30 people. Sometimes we do happy hours. Uh, but yeah, big events, we, I'd say two to three months uh, per. Okay. And you know, with all the experience you've had uh, running a, like a, a watch club, in hindsight, yeah, would you have changed anything like now that you're two years into it? Probably wouldn't have started it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just like I don't know, it's, we never wanted to. From day one, it was always just to design a watch to commemorate a friendship between a bunch of guys. You know, we weren't even that into watches at the time. 
And, <laughs> and, and uh, no, no, I'm I'm very honest. I I started collecting watches four years ago, and this club was we're two years two years old. So you know, two years ago, I mean, I had I had better things to do than than look at pieces of metal all day. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we we designed that watch, and then when speaking with Habring, they wanted to they asked us what we wanted to engrave on the back of the watch and we're like okay why don't we call ourselves uh some some group or we'll call ourselves some club and then we just came up with the horology club and we're like, okay and then we're like okay well we'll start an instagram account just to document the whole uh collaboration process with Habring. and then from that point onwards it just kind of grew and grew and then suddenly we're like throwing these events for initially it was just the three of us and then it, and then we have to keep changing our booking to like 15 20 25 and then everyone's like okay when's the next one when's the next one and we're kind of like oh, in, in a you know forced into a corner we're like uh i don't know um next month and then the next month comes and then they start inviting friends and then they're like when's the next one when's the next one and so then, so then just slowly just snowball into now we're like okay well we have the community, the 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 responses there. People are having fun. Um, admittedly, we're having fun. We're getting to meet a lot of nice collectors and, and see nice watches. So yeah, so here we are. What do you think is the reason why it just like worked so well and took off with so minimal like enthusiasm coming from <laughs> you, but it just worked? Uh, I don't. Know, I think at the time. Um, also, part of the reason we started the community was also we wanted to join a community as collectors ourselves. And at the time, there wasn't really anything that was. There were other clubs or societies in, inside Hong Kong. However, they weren't. Um, they might not. At the time, it was also COVID. So it might not have been the most uh, inclusive or welcoming. And so mm-hmm. we we just kind of wanted to do something slightly different um, mm-hmm. and can go that inclusive path. And I think that kind of coincided well with the the whole pandemic when everyone was just kind of stuck in Hong Kong looking at watches all day. And so that interest in watches just kind of blossomed. And mm-hmm. then alongside that, you had this, you had this community that was, Hey, it's free. You know, you, you just go there, you go to a restaurant and then you just chat about watches for three hours. And then suddenly mm-hmm. those two things came together and that's how, that's how it kind of ballooned. Mm. All right. Do you ever like um, feel tired with it, as in like jaded from it? Because um, I, I talk about from experience, right? Because like you, you run these clubs and there's a there's a lot of people, there's a lot of like social interaction. You as a founder, you have to keep running it, and uh, you obviously feel some kind of responsibility in kind of doing it. But then you know you said a kind of a, a key word there which is someone that's very thankless um so do you get the joy, enjoyment out of it now the same as when you first like started i think it's slightly different uh, and the, the enjoyment is different and when the beginning it was more about exploring exploring what other people we could we could meet or where it would take us uh, now it's more, as you say, we kind of feel like there's a responsibility in in keeping it running because we can see the joy it brings to people. Um, I can also see, looking back, if I was someone starting out 
collecting watches in my early 20s, a community, a community like this would have been really helpful. Uh, it would have really helped my help. You get to you just get to go see all these, all these watches that you don't even normally get to see. You go to a store, they don't have stock, mm-hmm. and you get to see all these things. And so, and learn from a lot more experienced collectors. So, even though yes, sometimes I do feel a bit jaded. It is tiring, but the the positives outweigh the definitely outweigh the cons. Okay, yeah. so you're spending a lot of time on it. And how do you see the future of the club? Uh, I say I say it's still early days. We do have plans. Uh, so obviously, we over the last two years, we've slowly kind of fixated on three pillars now. So for the club, we have the gather part, which is obviously throwing these events, um, not only with 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 collectors only, so get-togethers, but we're also working with brands sometimes to do brand-specific events. Uh, like recently, a few weeks ago, an example would be LePay was in town and they wanted to kind of reach out to some local collectors. So we helped them kind of bridge that. Uh, the second pillar was, is the educate. So in the last six months, we've actually started building uh, our YouTube channel where we roll out YouTube content, video content to talk about predominantly up, upcoming indies or, or indies, established indies. Uh, but we also touch on some other brands as well. Uh, and lastly, the last pillar is create. So we, our first collaboration with Havering was pretty much the origin of the club. And we found out the process really enjoyable. And since then, we've decided to take that further and work with a few more brands. So in the pipeline, we've got more and more brands that we're designing watches with. And uh, we hope to release in the next upcoming uh, upcoming years. I believe your role is very similar to Long Long's role in the fact that you have to do a lot of editing. If I'm not right, <laughs> not wrong, right? Uh, I, I I I do so I do I do do some of the editing. So the video parts, uh, yes, so I do the video editing uh, a, a lot of it. Um, however, uh, obviously the other co-founders Carlos and Helber, they help a lot. Um, Carlos is the, the the man behind all the website, the admin, um, and also the photography. He's our our, our uh, our club photographer um, and Halbert is basically our little mini watch professor. He is a uh, he's recently Karsten twenty years ago. <laughs> How long does like your video take to edit? Uh, with my skills, too long. So uh, a ten minute <laughs> a ten minute video it take probably takes me about twelve hours, ten to twelve hours. But uh, I mean, I'm I'm already quite happy with it because literally twelve months ago I did not know what Final Cut Pro was. And so uh, one day I just decided, okay, I'm just going to buy it. I'm just going to pay it and then take the hit. And then that's going to make force me to learn it. So then I went on YouTube and learned, to, learned it. In the, and so now, yeah, it takes me about 10 to 12 hours for a 10-minute video. I have to say, like, um, we did the same with, well, I, oh my God, I didn't even, I couldn't even be fucked to, like, be like, how am I going to edit this? Dan figured out it was this, um, program called um, Audacity and then I went on YouTube and I looked at the video and I was like this video takes 30 minutes I'm not gonna watch this thing. <laughs> so I was like just like googling how do I make the voice louder like everything yeah. I was just googling it and then I was so mad and I used to write these notes and then then I got frustrated and I googled who can edit my <laughs> soundtrack for me <laughs> God, yeah yeah, we have we have looked into the uh, finding someone to do it. However, 
our club does not have any incoming. So uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, my, my time is the is the only uh, price we can pay for now. Okay, I actually have a question that like I've been thinking about a lot recently. Like we all have like full time jobs outside of this, right? And uh, but I genuinely look forward to recording, and I now genuinely look forward to editing and doing all this stuff. And if you if you ask me like would I dive this is my full like would I love for this to be my full-time job so if I got paid like Joe Rogan level of course right like I would love to do this full-time but right now from the way you describe it it's still like okay I still have to do this outside of my normal job do you actually ever wish that this was your full-time thing like you became like a watch event planner but you got paid though uh I feel like the moment it becomes your full-time thing, it becomes your, your living, it actually changes the nature of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not doing it for passion anymore. You're doing it for, for money. And uh, anything you do need to do something for money, is just not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as much as I'd like to think that, yeah, maybe one day, but it's too far in the future. And right now, I think it changes the nature. I mean, if right now, if you tell me, Sometimes, I, as you say, I look forward to editing videos as well. You know, my, my kids are, are asleep, my wife's asleep, and then it's just me, you know, in the dark and then uh, <laughs> with, a, with a bottle of wine. And then I, I edit videos until like three in the morning. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's, kind of, it's kind of like meditation. Yeah. You know, you kind of, you lose, you lose track of time. You're not thinking of anything else and you're just doing that. Um, it's a bit like playing sports sometimes or like running. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean... First of all, I am so grateful that Lolan does the editing. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever, ever given many, like, like literally a handful of comments over the 80 episodes, right? Because, like, I'm so grateful that someone does it, right? Because I don't yeah, want I think it's a personality thing. Like, I, like, well, I'm so introverted that it just stresses me out to have any kind of interaction with anyone online. So you're telling me to edit for hours behind a computer. I'm like, yeah, sure. But you ask me to send one text on IG. It's like, no. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then um, like on what you said, Jonathan, about like your passion and then it becomes work. It's not, I, I actually disagree with that because if you said that, would you rather do a job that you're not passionate about to earn money? Or would you rather do a job that you're passionate about to earn money? right because i would definitely do the job that was passionate so i always feel that when people say uh yeah you know i don't want to do it because like uh you know it might change it yeah it might change yeah but actually until you have done it you can't say that and neither i can i either say that it would be great or not great you know but on from a logical point of view surely you want to work to do something that you're passionate about and make money out of it then not that's something you're not interested in. And that, that's that's true. That's true. Uh, but lucky for me, I'm also passionate about my current job uh, enough. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next question. You mentioned that um, you work with brands. How did like that first brand thing come about? And how do you actually work with brands? Uh, so some of these, the first brand event would actually was actually proposed by brands so they sometimes they come across our social media they find out it was, about the, first. Communities. It was the first 
one of our first events was actually with Jeje uh, Lacoute. Um, so mm-hmm. they they actually spoke to us and said, "Hey, you know, we'd love to uh, welcome you and your members." Um, and we have this uh, this demonstration of the Atmos clock mechanism that we want to to share with some 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 collectors. Um, maybe if you and your group would like to come and check it out, then we can do something. So that was one of the earlier events. Um, another one was. Uh, at the time when Mad Gallery was in Hong Kong, they they had they had some pieces that were in town. They also wanted to mm-hmm. showcase to some collectors, and so I think they came across our profile and and thought that we were a right fit for that. So it's been mostly been through social media. Um, they kept, they come across our, our our community, and so they've reached out, uh, and and slowly that's kind of built uh, a relationship, and I, I that's basically how it, how it started. So do you monetize off that? Do the brands pay you for that? So no, not at the moment. Um, the moment the events that we've done at the, uh, have not been have not been charged. We've always charged uh, nothing to our members as well. Um, but moving forward, if we have cost to to running these events, um, like hiring staff or photographers or videographers or et cetera, et cetera, then potentially we would have to charge for covering costs. Mm. Have, you th- have you thought about hiring photographers and videographers and then just marking it three times and charging it to the brands? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes, but uh, that's not something that we want to do. Uh, at the end of the day, we yeah, it's we want to keep it a passion project, and and we we're not really in here to make a buck, so so that's not really the direction we want to take. Um, I'm sure there are ways to to make make money, but yeah, yeah not at the moment. So. In t- in like in t- in like I'm just thinking, if if you keep growing, have you ever thought about like keeping it how it is then as a passion to let's say growth, yeah, in numbers is great, but like it's also becoming harder and harder to manage without like additional funding, isn't it? So like, do you think do you know what? Well, let's keep what we have here and just like make it really really fantastic for this group of people, and then. You know, I know it probably goes around one of the founding things, which is probably inclusivity. But then for the sake of like quality as well, like have you ever thought about just keeping it close and it's being, yeah. Uh, I have thought about that. Well, we have thought about that. Uh, to be honest, for, for most of us, um, while the big events are, are nice and meeting new people are nice, like at the end of the day, like, how many people can you actually keep a close relationship with? Yeah. Right. If you, if you're talking watches, um, these things are very personal things, and you might might not necessarily want to be sharing you know, your collection or your stories with mm-hmm. a complete stranger. You know, you literally just met this guy for ten minutes. You're not going to be talking about your 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 latest your latest purchase that you've been working for three years for. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, like the we find that the highest quality events are always the ones that are the small groups, the smaller mm-hmm. close knit groups. Um, so we do want to maintain that amongst the, the community. We've also noticed that as a community grows, naturally groups break off or people form groups amongst themselves. Um, what that means is people are able to have that high quality of interaction um, without any maintenance from us. And that's fine. You know, For us, we just want to cultivate this whole atmosphere of community collecting in Hong Kong. It doesn't have to be through us. People can make friends. After they make friends, they break off. Maybe THC mm. is not for them anymore. That's fine. Uh, none of this is mutually exclusive. So do we have plans to restrict the numbers? 
No. As you said, one of our main pillars is inclusivity. Uh, but if it means ultimately our numbers are get, getting so big uh, that we can't provide a good experience, then then no, we, we, we will cut off events. So like some of our events, we think we can manage right now 100, 150 people. Mm. If, it's, if it's 200, 300 with our current manpower, maybe not. So yeah, we would cut off an event. But um, for now, we haven't we haven't seen the need to uh, to restrict. How, how many okay. people are in it right now? So I think we have upwards of five hundred members. Um, wow! Yeah. Wow, that's really so, impressive. Yeah. And for our next event on the anniversary party, we're probably expecting like one hundred and twenty uh, attendees. So that'll be a big event. Gosh, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Okay, my next question, we kind of touched on it, but you said how you work with brands and brands approached you. So now you've got experience of working with brands and you obviously know your community really well. But how do you personally think it's best to work with brands, like to maximize it for brands and maximize the experience for the collectors in your club? Well, I try to, we try to approach it from a in perspective as a, as a collector, right? Like if you're a collector and what do you want when you attend one of these events? You know, are you looking to, food. to be yeah, yeah. Food. <laughs> are you looking, uh-huh. looking for free food, yeah. free free drinks? <laughs> um, not free food, good food. Good food. Dude, good it will food. never right. happen. I mean, like Jonathan, if you ever manage to get a brand to be like, can we just get a Shake Shack or can we do the <laughs> Shake Shack? That would be epic, I think. Yeah. yeah. GTG Shake Shack GTG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or if it was even the official one with like the one at IFC Shake Shack, right? Yeah. And you like, sh- oh my God, if you had Shake Shack X JLC, <laughs> like a tote. I'd buy yeah. that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think for a collector, when they go to these events, they're really, we try to approach it so that we want the angle to be education rather than you go to an event and you're being sold, sold some stuff. Mm. You know, um, the best, the most learning I get from, from these events is actually from the collectors who collect these brands because then they have no agenda, right? They can say whatever they want, even negative things, uh, about the brand whereas if you go to a branded event they're always going to say oh yeah we're the best you know our heritage is this and that blah 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 so i think for for us when we try to work with brands we try to come with an educational angle uh, and oftentimes we find that if we're able to enlist the help of certain community members who are fans of those brands and then have them provide the content that is a different experience to if someone from the brand is speaking about the brand itself. Mm. Right. Okay. So you get, you've got to meet brand people um, and you've got to meet like people within the watch industry. You've obviously made your own, like the horology club harboring watch. So you've made watches. If you uh, could pick a job in the industry, what would you pick? watch designer okay yeah right yeah i think that's definitely what we enjoy the most uh 
out of the three pillars that we have, gather, educate, and create. Um, for us, the creation is always the best part. We actually spend a lot of time uh, on the weekends um, just hanging out, drawing watches on my iPad, and then we bounce ideas amongst the three of us and say, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Uh, we draw the watches out, and then after we draw it, we say, hey, why don't we propose this? And then Halbert usually goes, oh, that's a shit idea. It looks terrible. <laughs> and then I go back to the drawing board. Uh, but then once we draw... They have a say, it looks like a Royal Oak. <laughs> <laughs> or it looks like a Nautilus. <laughs> you know, because then you could be a real watch designer and you do some real... other brands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not at that level yet, unfortunately. But uh, we, we do enjoy acting like like the DJ where we don't create music, we remix things. Uh, and, and so that's why we like working with the, the, the brands and collaborating on them rather than actually doing something completely new ourselves. Right. That was the uh, I'd name there. That little yeah. light point there. Right. Um, you met like, like I said, people from the brand who is the person you've met that really inspired you. That got you really excited. And thought, oh, wow. You know, the first industry, guy that you know you read about but you actually got to meet him in person uh for me uh, i think this is a common answer uh amongst a lot of collectors um widely recognized as one of the nicest guys in the industry uh but max bursa is my is my go-to guy uh he was actually one of the first guys that we reached out to to do one of our first video interviews on our youtube channel and at the time you can you imagine like these these three dudes from hong kong they have no credentials. They literally, who are they? They're nobody, right? And they just reached out to. Uh, I reached out to Mac because at the time there was this there was this MBNF watch I was thinking about buying. Uh, but I reached out to him on Instagram, and he actually replied me. And I was kind of surprised. It was just a, a shot in the dark. Uh, this guy, you know, he's I'm clearly busy with his life, um, and he takes the time out to to respond to me and. You know, sends me a wrist shot because I was asking him, "Oh, I I want to buy this MBNF, but it's kind of I'm worried that it's too big." And then he goes, "I never design watches that don't look good on my small wrist." And then he sends me a wrist shot, and then he tells me his his wrist size, and I'm like, "Oh, wow, we've got the same wrist size." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," you know. Um, <laughs> and then he just gave me the confidence to to buy it. And then after that, I was like, wow, okay, cool, thanks. And then uh, literally a few weeks later, I messaged him, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're the Horology Club in Hong Kong and we're trying to um, find some content for our video. Would you be up for an interview? And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then he just gave us a time slot and he just gave us the time of day. And after that interview, right, and then the first time I go to uh, I go to Switzerland and then I, I messaged him, I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be in Geneva. You know, let's let's hang out um, if you're free. And once again, he took the time out. We you know we had lunch. Uh, super nice guy. Um, and every time I've seen him since at any event, he's always taken the time to come over, say hi. You know, at least give me a few minutes of his time. Everyone surrounding him, and that really makes an impression on me. Like this guy, I'm I'm a nobody, and he he takes the time to do that, and he's a genuinely nice guy. And, and some, sometimes I'm even I'm even thinking about how is he so nice? Is he being disingenuous? <laughs> what does he What does he want from me? Yeah, Maybe he wants you to buy watch. Huh? Maybe he wants you to buy another watch. Yeah. Um, um, I did. I did buy the watch. Yes. Uh, it was the uh, the nitro the nitro glycerine the 
the collab watch that MBNF had with Urwerk. Um, so 10 years ago, they came together and basically made this co secret collab watch and they couldn't release it under their respective brands because they had different retailers. So what they did was they just created this website online and then sold 12 of these watches online and then closed the brand. And then they called that brand, uh, you know, C3H5N309, which is the chemical formula of nitroglycerin. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then they sold 12 online, they closed the website, and then they sold another 12 in black. And then that's it. So the brand's dead. There's no such thing uh, as a brand anymore. But it's actually an MBNF case with a overwork movement. Are you checking it out? Yeah, but I'm like, is it this one? It, I mean, wait, it's not. Oh, wait, is it this? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's so cool. Is it big? It's it, it's pretty big. It's big. Well, I would think it's like the UR100, just a bit longer. No, it's, it's, uh, I think, uh, lug to lug. It actually yeah. has these articulating lugs. So it's like 55 millimeters, 54. Okay. End to end, but then it's got these articulating lugs. So it actually wears okay. Are the lugs like the DB that, like, um, it can flips down, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the front, the front ones do not, but the ones at the back goes down very aggressively. You can actually go down like a straight line. So exactly. actually, where is okay? This is this is really nice. How come I've never seen you wear that at a preview? <laughs> uh, we, I just haven't seen you enough times. Well, no, because I've seen you enough times, and you keep wearing the same basher on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do wear. I think amongst the community, I think. It's basically like known as my watch. I, I'm always wearing it. Um, I don't oh, baby my watches, so I wear it. Next preview, which is actually next month. Well, next time I see you, I'll wear it. No problem. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Right. In the industry, so that's the most inspired you. But what about who have you yet to see, but you really want to see? <clears throat> Probably. Probably Jean. Mm. I haven't well, met Jean yet. But why him? I think he was my first. So, so my relationship with Indies actually started with Epi Jean. Mm -hmm. And this was a few years ago before Jean was um, as as popular. And at the time, I, I was always into dressier conventional pieces. Um, but then I didn't want to wear something that was, uh, I wanted to wear something that was nice, uh, but I didn't want to wear something that was recognizable. One of the factors that I don't like, uh, when I wear a watch is actually when someone can actually mm -hmm. yeah. recognize how much it costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really hate that. And so mm -hmm. at the time I was looking at other, these pieces and then people were telling me, oh yeah, you know, you should buy a Patek, you should buy this and buy that. And then I was like, well, I don't really want it to be recognized. Um, so then I was speaking with Helbert. So Helbert's like my my go-to guy. I always go to him for advice. Okay, so I want to buy, mm -hmm. you know, a dressier piece, um, mm -hmm. more uh, lesser known. And he's like, yeah, I look into this brand called F.P. Jorn. Like, what, mm -hmm. what, what, is, what is this? You know, like, like I've never seen this. And he's like, yeah, just look into it. So I spent, spent some time looking into it. And then 
that was my first foray. I never thought, I never even, I wasn't even aware there was this whole independent watchmaking mm-hmm. side of things. And so FB Drawing was my first um, sort of dip into that, into that. And that kind mm-hmm. of unleashed, unleashed everything ever since that first FB Drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then went on to, sorry? Which model was it? Sorry. It was the Kronometsu Rang, uh, rose gold with the Havana dial. Did you? Uh-huh. So did you? Um, when you say you went to explore the brand, did you actually go to the boutique, or you just went online and you started reading? So when I, I'm a really obsessive guy. So when I yeah. when I get into something, I I just go 100. percent So then what I did was I just went to all the auction previews. I checked out every Fijon at every lot. Mm-hmm. I just kept trying on these mm-hmm. watches. I went to the. I went online. I probably read every article there was on Fijon at the time. I mm-hmm. went through the dinky and everything, mm-hmm. and then and then finally, uh, there was at this auction. I I came across the exact one that I wanted, which was the Kronometsu Ran in Havana, mm-hmm. and then and then I just, I was the underbidder, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, screw this, you know what? I'm just gonna pay up. At the time, this mm-hmm. these auction prices were under the retail, yeah. so I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I, I I'm just gonna go to boutique. I was I was bite the bullet i'll just buy it all right uh, yeah. and then so, so i just went to the boutique and then and then they're like yeah uh which one do you want it's like okay this yeah. one okay all right yeah take your deposit done and that was it. <laughs> that's good that's cool yeah. yeah yeah so i haven't i i that was my first independent watch and i haven't i've yet to meet the guy um i've heard uh many things about him so mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm quite excited to maybe one day eventually meet him that's cool. So we're talking about your watch collection, right? So you've mentioned this like Eurowork MBNF collab watch. I always see you with like a vintage Bataron um chronograph. And now you're saying, you know, your foray into independent was Jean um this Banadile chronometric brand. So how would you describe your taste in watches? What are you looking for? And how is it developing? I'd say initially, uh, and now it's changed a lot. Nowadays, it's a lot about uh, do I have, do I have a connection with the the guy behind the brand? I think through through the Horology Club, we've been able to have the opportunity to design projects, and what that means is that oftentimes, if we're customizing a watch, you know, compared to say a watch that's regular production, I'm 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 gonna be biased. I'm gonna be spending my resources, my limited resources on a watch that I had a say in and where I actually built a relationship with the brand themselves. Mm. You know, one of the one of the watches that um we, we worked on uh is actually this um this upcoming uh independent watchmaker called Sylvain Pinot. Well mm. and uh you know, that experience was crazy. We we, we visited him in, in Switzerland in San Juan, which is this middle middle of nowhere um, mm-hmm. up 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 north, and then you know we, we're just visiting his workshop, and then he's like suddenly he's like whipping out some uh, a bottle of absinthe, and he goes <laughs> he goes you know what time it you know what time it is? I'm like no, he's like absinthe o'clock. Like, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> then, and I was like I look at my watch, it's like four thirty, but okay. I see. I see. All right. Yeah. And then, so then we're just like drinking absinthe and then, and then, you know, he just r- rummages and he pulls out tobacco and he starts rolling. All right. 
And I'm like, what, what it, so what it, I, I was like, what are you rolling? I, I know this is Europe, but, and then he's like, oh, it's just tobacco. So, okay. So then, and then he's like rolling, we're rolling cigarettes. So we're drinking absinthe, smoking his hand-rolled cigarettes. And then we go to the, the local pub for a burger. And so then it's these memories and relationships that kind of give value to a watch now. Um, you know, when I'm looking at it, I look at my watch or I look at what's on my wrist and, it's these memories it's these uh and then i think that's just priceless you know at the end of the day all these the watches that mean the most to you are the watches like say your dad gave you something for your graduation or you wore it when you got married or so it's kind of like that for me now so i'd say my taste is is more the story behind the watch rather than than the actual brand or or the aesthetic as much that's so nice yeah Yeah. okay so what what um Watches have you designed? Uh, so we have a few that are, are not public yet, uh, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll keep it at that. But yeah, we yeah, have a few. You have to join the club to find out. Exactly. Okay, yeah. just tell me off there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and um, my last question, because like you're in the finance finance industry, so I always wanted to know like how do you budget for your watches? How do you like oh, now and then you know budget everything, or is it totally emotional based? Can't let my wife listen to this episode ever. I was just about to say, <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Uh, jokes aside, I think it's it's important to set um, set aside a portion of 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 what you think is sensible to you. Uh, for me, you know, whether it's your your net worth or whatever you have, liquid cash, or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, this thing, this thing is a hobby, um, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't affect the rest of your life. Um, for me, I set it to an X percentage of my, of my, of my net worth, and um, and I just stick to that. And nowadays, I'm at a point where I feel like I have to stick with one in, one out, or at mm-hmm. least, you know, two, two in, one out, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be sensible because well, three in one out, or maybe three in one out. Well, five in one yeah, but at least the 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 sum the amount of the 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 money the cost of it should not should not get to a point where it affects the rest of your life. You know, for me, I I I have not only do I work um, for THC, but also I'm also a, a husband. I'm also a, a dad, and you have, just have to be sensible. So I I do budget, um, and there's certain certain percentages or certain lines that cannot be crossed. So there's like. So do you have a limit on like, let's say I want to keep my collection at five. And then as you say, it's two in one out. And so there's an overall like cost there or. Uh, I wouldn't say there's a fixed number. I think those who say there's a fixed number, whatever, like, you know, 10 watch collection or 20 watch collection, like at the end of the day, you can't, it's impossible. You know, once you get to 10, there's always going to be that extra one that's like, Oh, that's so nice. You know? Uh, But I think, I think setting a, a cap in terms of price, in terms of, in terms of the value, I think that's more sensible. You know, you mm-hmm. cannot have your the amount of money you have in your watches a significant amount of your wealth. That's just that's just silly. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So, that ends the main interview with you, Jonathan. Um, was it how you expected? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Time time flew by. I really enjoyed it. Right, we're on to the reverso round, so now it's your turn. 
All right. Um, so Daniel, you obviously yeah. you've gone from uh, you, you moved to Phillips. Um, how has that experience been? Obviously, mostly positive. Uh, but I do want to ask you what about your new role? What has something that hasn't lived up to your expectations that you're disappointed with? Good question. What have I? Hmm, good question. What has not lived up to my expectations? The drinks. <laughs> <laughs> um. God, really, like, there's nothing in the job that has like surprised me or like I I didn't expect. You know, mm-hmm. like when I signed on to it, I was like. Yeah, the main thing for me was about learning about watches, right? And seeing if I could carve a way in the industry. And I think those two things I still feel very positively about. Um, like, I would say, like, probably one of the hardest things is dealing with like difficult clients, right? But I still really value that experience. Because I do feel like to get to the top of industry, you have to overcome adversity. You know, nobody would say it's plain sailing. And um, when 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 things happen or don't go as 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 planned, just in like any kind of walk of life, you you learn from it and you just try and make sure it doesn't happen uh, again. Um, so I always think when these difficult things, it's a really great opportunity to grow and learn. But I don't really think it's a, a bad thing. You know. I don't, I mean, as long as you don't take things like too personally in your job, I think it's like pretty okay. I, as you know, like right, you saw me on Monday, I spent the whole week on the preview and, and standing around in the preview is like really tiring, you know, the whole day on your feet. But I, I learned so much about the watches, you know, um, probably, you know, just maybe 10 different facts, you know, that I didn't know. But that is a lot, you know, and and now I remember that, and I just remember that next time. And I've always, you know, admittedly been pretty weak on like um, the Rolex Daytona references, you know, figuring out what what is this reference, why is this one different to that reference, and now I have a much better idea because I was left alone for like a, a long period of time this week, and I was just sitting with the watches, and I was just getting the catalogue out and reading it, and I was like, oh, I finally get it, you know, and there's like. Some of these terms I never really understood, and the catalog really, really helps. And I just sat there alone sometimes, just picking the watches out. So, yeah, that was just had such a, a great time. Although it was just physically really uh, tiring, um, I do. But I, again, you know, in terms of time and the devotion of time into the job, Thomas, like, perhaps it did warn me. You know, like. There are no like times. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you just get a need to get it done. Um, sometimes with clients, it's relationships. I mean, how do you judge time on relationships, right? So that, but yeah, it is. I know it sounds crap because I don't want to give you an answer where I say, oh, nothing, but it, I'm really struggling, you know, to tell you something that I really don't enjoy about the job. I see. Uh, I see. That's why they hired you. Very diplomatic answer. Well, yeah. I, I even you know, you know what, right? I even like the people. And even, that, yeah, that's honestly. I even like the people that I work with. 
like a lot. I respect them a lot. And that hasn't like I've been working in the company like before that, two other companies. And that's definitely not been the case. But it is the case here. I don't know. I just yeah. Sounds uh, like you've land, land, landed the dream job. Yeah, I'm really happy about it. Yeah, yeah really about it. Good. Good for you. Mm, question for Long Long then. Um, obviously, as a collector of, of many years, uh, as a female, do you feel like the industry is doing enough for female collectors? And do you still see any barriers for female collectors coming in right now? Hmm. I know, like, I don't know why I've said the same thing, but every time I say it, I still feel super embarrassed about saying it. Me and Jacqueline are probably the two girls that you don't want to ask because we're like, why? There's nothing wrong. <laughs> like, I know they expect <laughs> us to say, like, yeah, like, you know, why are the female watches like this? Like, why can't you guys design better? But it's like, well, no one's stopping you from buying the other ones. <laughs> like, I've always just been like, this is the best they can do. And because the spending is just not there. So you just have to go for other options. So I've never, yeah, like, I don't think But say, um, like, in terms of, say, for example, for a community or you're going to an event, do you feel like you get treated differently because you're you're a female? Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is why I don't, I don't go, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, if you ask around the people in Hong Kong, the moment I found like five to six friends, um, then I was like, I'm done. I don't need to join anything anymore. Not because I don't think any of the groups are great, but it's just like, I'm so actually socially awkward. I don't need it. Right. And, but I'll tell you the thing though, that, um, when you were explaining earlier on about being inclusive, when I first started, um, kind of like being like, okay, you know what? I'm going to start an Instagram account. I was, uh, only one or two guy friends in Singapore knew I liked watches. So they immediately linked me up with Singapore Watch Club. And I met the founder, his girlfriend, well, now like wife, and we had lunch. And this guy friend said, hey, they have a watch club. Do you want to join? And I was still like, what's a watch club? Like, I didn't even know any of these things. And they basically said, yeah, you can't because you're a girl. Um, but then the wife was the only one that was allowed. And then I just thought, oh, this must be the con like I actually because I was so dumb about this whole thing. I was like, oh, this is how like watch clubs work. It's by gender. <laughs> and I actually believed it. Um, and then when I came to Hong Kong, I didn't even ask around because I was just like, this is the norm. So this is just a very lonely hobby. So if you actually ask my salesperson, who was now at FP Joran actually called Alex. He was my sales at AP. And if you ask all the AP sales that I used to, uh, that I mean, have now moved, they, and you ask them about my experience about picking up the watch, it would be like, you would just be like, this is bizarre. I'll go at like just before the boutique closes, 10 minutes before, very quickly pick it up. Nothing like, um, nobody knew about it. And I'll wear it and I'll just go straight to, there used to be Simply Life at IFC. And I'll eat a salad and I'll go home. It will be one of those like, oh, this is such a lonely hobby. Nobody knew about it. Um, and then like fast forward many years later, then um, I got asked, hey, do you want to join Hong Kong Watch Club? But even then I was like, oh, this must be a joke. Like they just 
pity me so much. And then now I've like in the club, I've also found a group of friends. So I don't always go to their events because I found this group of friends and then I'm like, okay, I'm good now. So if I could go back to like in time and you guys existed and I could just show up and not be like, not feel weird. Cause also it helps. Cause there's so many of you guys. Uh, I would have been super happy instead of being like, I think I hid this hobby from most people for two years when I moved here. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And then this is also how I became friends with Dan because mm-hmm. I had no one to like communicate with. And I found Dan's link, like interview link um, in the comment section on some watch website when I had to use VPN to access these watch websites when I was working in China. And then I messaged Dan and then I flew to Shanghai watch festival. And oh, okay. Was, so, yeah. so bo- bo- bonus question. What was yeah. your first impression of Dan when you first met him? Right. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. No, I just thought, oh, holy shit. I didn't know that there were like these bunch of guys in Shanghai that were actually uh, Western educated, were so nerdy into watches that actually commented on these like watch articles. So I was like, my mind was blown, but then I was like, great. Of course they will live somewhere else, like so far away from me. Um, so then I just thought, oh God, I'm just going to do something crazy. So I went there and then obviously they were all so nice. I mean, Dan, you were so nice. But then again, I was still at that phase where I was like, yeah, they just pity me. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. People don't realize, right? But like, uh, me and Long Long didn't like uh, hit it off like yeah. from day one. Yeah. Actually, it, 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 I don't want to say it happened organically. <laughs> like, yeah, but, it's so lame. But a lot of things like uh, fortuitously happened, and then yeah, we just uh, I mean, COVID for one of those things, and then uh, yeah, we just have this great friendship now. Yeah. Uh, but I was just thinking, like, on to your question, Jonathan, like, uh, you know, like, obviously, long, long going into a, a generally male-dominated area, which is a watch club, right? And her being treated di- differently. You would kind of expect it because she is different because she's a girl, right? Mm. So that, that's, like, kind of, like, normal. And that's very different from saying, do they treat you nastily or disrespectful, mm. right? So I would ex- expect because guys also find it curious that there is a girl that is so into watches, right? Like that is a curiosity thing. And then I, I, I'm, I'm so happy that Long Long said her answer about um, that she actually feels there's nothing too wrong. But you know, okay, I'll yeah. tell you one thing that stood out to me though. I remember I went to a vintage, uh, there's a vintage Rolex club in Hong Kong. And they have like just epic pieces. And then I remember being like, oh shit, there's a bubble Watson, right? One guy was wearing RM. And then, uh, so obviously I was like, blah, blah, blah. Can I see it? And he, I like, I feel so bad because he's such a great guy. He kept saying, oh, can you like, hey, can you be careful? Because I know he thinks I think it's rubber, but I know what it is. So after a while, I was just like, yeah, I know this is Bubba Watson, blah, blah, blah. I know how many pieces I made. I was explaining it to him. And he's like, okay, <laughs> like, okay. <now." laughs> this whole time I could see he was like panicking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Well, that ends the reverse round. We now go on to the pump push around, right? Number one, you're a trader, right? Mm. Okay. What is the biggest misconception about that job? Uh, it's, it's only, it's only, uh, flowers and, uh, and fireworks every day. And you just go in, you walk in, you make money and you go home. Uh, it's, it's, it's none of that. Most of it is actually the, uh, the grinding and grinding. Most of the time you, it, there's actually not much happening. And then you're having to think, constantly think about your next move. Um, it's actually very strategic and I'd say, 90% of your PL is made on 10% of days. So you're constantly having okay. to, to grind. Can you say that again? 90% of your PL is probably made on 10% of your days. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So you said that you really love your job. What is it about it that you love? It's just so transparent. Uh, in trading, everything is so. You buy, that means someone sells. You sell, someone buys. It's very transparent. It's a zero-sum game uh, disregarding whatever uh, transaction costs. So for my my background was actually in, I actually started off playing poker professionally, semi-professionally. And uh, that kind of, that was never going to fly with my strict Asian parents. I was never going to play cards for a living. Uh, so then I just chose the next big, next next best thing, which was, basically legitimized gambling mm -hmm. it's the same thing it's a asymmetric information and you're just trying to make the best move in any possible moment and just try to make the positive expected move and so it's really like it's like a game mm -hmm. but you've got high stakes and it's just it's just I, I i used to work in a company where there was a lot of fluff and there's a lot of dead weight and i hated it you know you had people you know senior people who I just thought were stupid, <laughs> dumb, and uh, you, 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 it's hard to get that in trading because it's so apparent. Everyone can see your P and L every day. Everyone can see the everyone can see the the numbers, and numbers don't lie. So that's what I I love the most about about it. Okay, good answer. Like I don't know much about that job, but I can't, you gave me a good idea about it. Okay, next one. Um, let's see. Favorite watch complication. Mm. I'm actually not a fan of complications. I pick time only. But if I had to pick a complication, probably a chrono, because I think it's, you just don't need to set it. Anything with date you need to set, I, I, I hate it. So chronograph. Okay. Next one. Best hidden getaway in Hong Kong. Somewhere that nobody knows that is your place and you don't want anybody to know. I'm really telling you. <laughs> but but now, I, now I need to say it? Yeah. Um, hmm. Where would I be okay with people going? Mm. Uh, I actually recently went to this place called uh, Bojan. Bojan is this Chinese restaurant. Uh, it's on, Holly, I think it's Hollywood Road? Hollywood Road, yes, or Wyndham, Wyndham Street. Yeah, it's called Bojan, B-O-Z-H-A-N. And uh, it's basically this Cantonese restaurant. And you go up there and it's like for 10 to 12 people. And then you just go... The food is really good, and you get to sing karaoke, and that's like my my guilty pleasure. So, uh, karaoke. 
yeah, I care. I go karaoke with the uh, the parents of uh my the classmates of my daughter, my daughters, and then we just go. Uh, we get absolutely wasted, shit faced, and then we sing karaoke. So yeah, that's my thing. You, you go to karaoke with the classmates of your daughter. No, no, no. The parents, oh, the parents. Uh, the parents oh, the other parents. No, 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 no. Your kids are like three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the parents. Yeah. Right. Okay. Next one. The first watch you would get for your daughter. Oh, I've already gotten it for her. Well, what is it? So I bought them. Uh, I bought them a pair of uh, tank musts. So two years ago, oh. they came out with the. Uh, the lacquer dials, the red, uh, red one and the blue, blue red. one. Yeah, because oh, uh, because so my older daughter has a her name uh, sounds like Ruby, and then uh, the younger one uh, sounds like Sa- Sapphire. So it's Ruth and Sasha. So uh, I got the red one for for Ruth, and then the blue one for for Sasha. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Thank you. Very well considered. Yeah. Yeah, and so. I guess knock on question would be when are you going to give it? Maybe when they're 16. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> What's that mean? Is that earlier or too late or That's what? That's late. Okay, so when then? When would you want to have it? Yeah. Like uh, 10 or 12? <laughs> yeah, okay. If, they, if they're good, then yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Recently, I've been thinking like what was that? And I was thinking, hmm, you know, like long pants swatch moon swatch because it's like you know they're not like the most delicate with things they're kids and uh it's kind of like a foray into something which is yeah. really, i guess what the product was about right to introduce people to the and then they can slowly like uh thinking but i don't know we'll see because uh, you're not really wearable at like you know it's like quite big yeah <laughs> right so do you think a lot of people in your watch club listen to this podcast? I'd say so. Yeah. I'd say so, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Right. So basically, your watch collectors put me up to this and they asked me to ask you, <laughs> apparently, with the most deadpan face, right? Why is your nickname Cocksucker? <laughs> Is it? I guess that's what they call call me behind my back, but I did not know that. Yeah, apparently there's a there's a reason for it. I I have no idea. <laughs> because like they said, make sure you ask him. And then as soon as they they said it, yeah, I'm telling the whole table yeah. just laughed their head off, right? <laughs> and they originally, mm. they, I've been already nice to you because I put it at the end. They originally yeah. said. But Put it at the beginning. Put it at the beginning. I'll tell you offline. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it's been a, a blast having you on, Jonathan, and good luck to you and your club and all the members. It seems like your heart's in the right place. And um, yeah, don't work so hard, you know, like and get time to enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Okay. See you guys in the next one. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to The Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.